Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Also joining us today's episode, a long one. We're going to do all your listener questions from the offseason. And um, before that, we'll have a special guest, Victor Lopez, the strength and conditioning coach of the Florida Gators. First new strength and conditioning coach in a long while. Uh, We're so happy to have Victor on the show and we hope you enjoy our conversation with him, which we thought uh, was really entertaining and fun. So, hope you guys enjoy it. Um, if you're traveling up to Kentucky, travel or traveling up for the Kentucky game in Gainesville, words. Uh, make sure you travel safe and uh, enjoy another big Gator win. Thanks, everybody. Florida Basketball Hour. We are joined by Florida's new strength and conditioning uh, coach. I guess, and I guess it's still pretty new, uh, Victor Lopez. And I will tell you this, Coach. You are and have been since we had, uh, even before we had Coach Golden on, he was he was the one that everybody wanted to talk to first. But right. then people were like, can you get Coach Can you get Coach Victor <laughs> Lopez on? And we were like, what? you know, it wasn't strange. It was just interesting that, that our number one requested guest was Coach Victor Lopez. So thank you for, for joining us. No, gentlemen, thank you for having me on. Uh, obviously excited to be a part of your show. Um, I've also had an opportunity to listen to a couple of your guys' episodes. Um, so I'm already locked into you guys. So appreciate you guys. <laughs> I will really appreciate that. Um, so your name is Victor Lopez, but we really love your branding on social media. Weights of Valor. People love it. Can you talk a little bit about the origin of that name and what it means to you? Yeah, you know, it really started. So I got out of the Marine Corps um, in 2008. And um, that's it's a funny story how I got into uh, strength and conditioning. But uh, one day I was sitting in the coffee shop and um, I was with a friend and I was like, man, I, I'm really thinking about starting my own training business, but I have no idea what I should uh, call it. And he's like, all right, man, well, you know, get a piece of paper, write everything, every buzzword you can think about. And, um, you know, thinking about my experience, you know, there's a lot of guys that were uh, showed a lot of selflessness. Right. And uh, what, what, what that meant to me was like valor. Right, showing valor, having a, a valor about you, and uh, and then weights. I circled weights, and I was like, "Man, weights of valor, baby, let's go!" So uh, that that's how it all kind of worked out, and it kind of stuck uh, stuck with me, um, and um, been able to kind of uh, you know uh, make something of it through um, you know through my business, and also just kept it as a social media platform. So. So you just kind of hinted too that it was a little bit of a circular route, maybe for you to get into strength and conditioning. So from starting your own company to you know being at San Francisco and, and now at Florida, can you talk a little bit about uh, how about how that came to be? Yeah. So you know, getting out of the military, you know, one of the natural next steps um, a lot of us look at is law enforcement. And so um, it was about six months uh, before getting out of the Marine Corps. I, uh, my buddy called me and he's like, Hey Lopez, you know, what are you up to? And I was like, man, I'm trying to get my life together. I'm figuring out what my next step is that post-military. And, um, he's like, what do you have planned? I was like, look, I'm trying to, I, I think I'm going to, um, apply for the Orange County Sheriff's Department in California. And he's like, nah, man, don't do that. And I was like, why? He's like, I'm a personal trainer and I love it. And I was like, personal trainer. He's like, yeah. I was like, tell me more about that. And so he, uh, goes on and says, yeah, you know, it turns out that, you know, you train people, you treat them like you're, you know, like you're a drill instructor and they'll pay you for it. 
<laughs> and I was like, man, there's a gig that exists like that. People like getting yelled at. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right. Well, I, I started looking into it and I got certified. And, um, you know, I got into uh, personal training first, um, you know, and then, you know, started uh, to be real successful in that area in, in corporate fitness. And I realized that it wasn't it wasn't where I wanted to go, you know, coming from working with um the Marines, where there's a lot on the line, and we're preparing our bodies for uh, a, wide, a wide variety of things, and um, and so I started a first internship, a strength and conditioning internship, um, in a in a gym uh, called California Strength in in California, which is one of the most well known weightlifting gyms in America, um, and so I got my first taste of working with professionals, working in that setting. Um, from there, I was able to. Um, I was able to um, uh, volunteer as a strength coach at Division Two, and it's it's pretty interesting on that ha- how that happened. Um, so there was a basketball game. One of my buddies, who was also a veteran, is like, "Hey, man, this school needs a veteran so they can um, um, honor at halftime." And he's like, "And I think you'd be a great um, veteran for that." And I was like. Hey, man, I love sports. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get in any way I can, you know. And so, yeah, I love to do that. Ended up um, chatting with the coach, uh, Gus Arginal, who is um, who went to Nevada with uh, Muscleman and now is with Arkansas. He's an assistant uh, coach there. But um, he basically um, we started chatting. He found out, you know, obviously I was a veteran and, um, you know, he said, hey, man, um, come talk to my team. You know, it, you know, I believe it was halftime and he's like, come talk to my team, you know, you know, rally them up, give them, give them a, a line or two. Um, and, and so I did that. I don't remember what I said to the team, but we ended up winning and uh, they had a great game. Coach comes to me after after the, the game. And he's like, hey, uh, I want you around the program. And I was like, well, this is perfect because I've been trying to get into collegiate athletics. And so I started hanging out, uh, working with the team, um, ended up being a volunteer there. Um, and then, um, that got me onto, um, a GA position at St. Mary's college. And that's where I spent a couple of seasons there, had great success, uh, there, uh, I moved on, um, to, uh, Louisiana tech, my first assistant strength coach position. Um, and then I went over to San Francisco, worked with Todd Golden a few seasons and then, uh, just speeding things up. Now I'm here at Florida. So it's, it's been a, 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 a little transition there from, from the start to now. Well, well, first, um, somebody that comes from a, a military family, thank you um, for, for your service. Um, I'm very involved with uh, the Wounded Warrior Project. So one of the things that is important to this podcast, and, and we've never shied away from mm-hmm. some of the charitable stuff that, that both of us are involved in, and, and that's really important to me. So I, that was the thing that stuck out to me about your story was it was – you know, coming from a, a Marines background, I thought, man, there's probably a lot of stuff that you took from your service Absolutely. and integrated into the way that you train high level athletes. Yeah, yeah no, it, it it is. And, you know, one of the, the biggest things from the Marine Corps and it's, it's one of their philosophies is um, developing leadership qualities um, within each individual. Right. And so that, Leadership comes in many forms, as we all know, but, um, you know, they pride on um, 
you know, what those qualities are, building on those qualities and making everyone a leader. And I, and I think uh, I took some of those things and, and try to apply it to a lot of areas in my life. So strength and conditioning um, has actually been a, po- or a topic on the podcast. We've discussed um, a surprising amount over the last couple of years. And, and something um, that's we always kind of talk about is the relationship between adding straight up muscle and measurable mass and strength and, um, you know, functional basketball skills, agility, lateral movement, vertical explosiveness. So um, for you now, you know, now we're really getting into, into your job here in Florida, but how do you see the relationship between, you know, bulk, muscle, measurable strength, and of course, some of the, uh, some of the agility and dexterity that uh, the game of basketball requires? Yeah, it, it's, it's a, uh... You know, it's a sweet, it's a, it's a good art and a science. Um, you know, there's something that really stuck to me um, that I heard, you know, not too long ago where there's good strength coaches, then there's good basketball strength coaches kind of going off of what you said, because there has to be a good balance. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm really, um, you know, with the designing of the programs, I, I really love to train movements. Um, obviously whole body training versus kind of split trainings, um, explosive versus non-explosive, obviously all those things. Um, but now, you know, especially at the university of Florida, we, uh, I can see that we really pride ourselves on, um, on, you know, getting what we need to maximize each individual's, um, potential. And so one thing that, that I like to do is take some of this technology. For example, we use force plates here. Um, the force plates give us um, a really good insight on what each individual needs. Do they need to um, really focus on um, max effort lifts or, or, or max strength emphasis, or do they need to work a little bit more on the ballistic side? And so over the years, these are things that, um, you know, um, have become very popular. It, they use it, um, you know, every day in the NBA, from what I'm told. Um, and it's a, it's a tool that we use here in the weight room to really uh, maximize, you know, our exercise prescriptions. Cause like you said, sometimes you're seeing a guy out there, looks like he needs to be a little bit more elastic. You know, what is he actually doing in the weight room? Are we um, still working on brute strength or are we working on some of the other qualities um, to get more out of our tendons and durability and mobility and which, which shows up on game day. I love it coach. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. No, uh, so that that kind of builds on the question that I was going to ask, and and I also have a, a bit of a background in soccer. So mm-hmm. I think when you talk about you know the cardiac aspect of soccer, but also sort of lateral movement, and and there are some similarities in terms of constant movement um, between the, that sport and basketball. And I think um, you know now in modern basketball with with the way that it's become so heavy like the way it's played on the perimeter and stuff has that changed the way that because you mentioned it being a basketball strength coach can be a little different Um, has that changed the way that we approach strength training and and conditioning training now um i believe so um reason being because i mean you got guys that are six five you know 215 220 playing on a perimeter now um and so you know i remember when we used to have to break up hey we got if you're playing in the post you're doing this if you're playing in the in the perimeter you're doing this but now we've got guys that move like guards that are um you know playing in the post 
And so that's, I think that's kind of where we've been the last uh, couple of seasons where it's like, you know, those uh, separating the two aren't, you know, you're not doing that a lot no more. And, and like I said, that's where kind of going off of what individual needs off some of our, our assessments, um, some of the technology that we can incorporate um, in, in each um, for each athlete. I think that's re- really helps us pinpoint, um, you know, our training style for that specific person. So something I find pretty interesting about the like modern college basketball fan and modern college football fan as well is like fans nowadays are. Uh, they care more about facilities than ever. And for basketball, it's kind of funny sometimes because like, it's kind of like, Hey, when it comes to on the court stuff, if you got hardwood and two hoops, you're good to go. But where you can really start to see the difference between maybe a mid-major program and a high major program is in the strength and conditioning category and what you see in the weight room. So um, how has what Florida has offered maybe as opposed to um, what you were working with at San Francisco, how has that changed your job? Yeah. It, you know, I really like, I mean, I, I try to get involved. We have so many smart people here at the University of Florida. And so um, I'd be doing a disservice to these guys if I didn't refer out. Um, and, and so one of the big things that um, I realized when I got here was that um, we're actually setting up a really, really sweet area here in the Hawkins Center, where it's our sports science area. And so in there we have um, something called the Dari um, movement scan. And so each guy, when they come into campus, they go there and there's multiple cameras on the ceiling. We got the, the big screen and we're having these athletes do athletic movements and we're measuring how they move through every joint um, in their body. And so at the end of the day, I'm getting a full analysis on, um, on how they move, which makes my job a lot easier. And so if a guy is uh, lacking ankle mobility, um, I know how, how, you know, what range of motion that ankle was going through. Um, and so I essentially get a, a full printout uh, from top to bottom, and I'm able to start incorporating um, specific, um, you know, um, corrective exercises to help that athlete um, set them up for success, improve durability, um, all those uh, good things. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll come to realize that um, it just, it just makes my job easier. Um, and so um, that's one big thing is, is part of our intake and um, it's helped us tremendously. I mean, not, not only obviously there are current players, but I mean, just being able to talk to the, the parents um, when they first come in um, and, and you'll start to notice now there's so many questions um, coming from the parents on the strength and conditioning side. All right. Like, tell me how you're going to develop my, my son from first year to the fourth year, like, what is that process like? And so I've been, um, you know, working with Coach Golden um, and, and having a segment where I'm, you know, having to walk these parents through how we're going to, um, you know, uh, how we're going to set up their their athlete for, for uh, long-term athletic development, um, you know. But it's also tricky, too, because, um, you know, in this day and age, you, you might have them one year or four years. And so, like I said, it goes back to having a good feel for the athlete and, and just having a balance of, of the – a practitioner side, but also the art of, of things. So I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot at all. I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, but I promised a couple guys, I wouldn't throw them <laughs> under the bus. Um, talking to a, talking to a couple players who said one of the most interesting things they did was, was combine like testing. Yeah. Um, and you know, a couple of them had never done anything like that before because right. mm-hmm. they weren't 
accustomed to that level and, uh, you know, probably, probably giving people away now. Um, and a couple of them said it was super fun because, you know, coach Lopez wants us to compete always. And that means you compete against yourself, but also against other people. Um, yeah. And so that was fun. And, and, you know, not all of them are like you just mentioned, Robert Bonham, where you have a military background, right? Like some of these kids, there's not that background there. So so what goes into to doing something like that? And, and what yeah. do you think made that so fun for these guys? Yeah, no, it, it, it was. It was, um, you know, and, and the great thing is that, uh, you know, the coaching staff, especially coach uh, TG, Todd Golden, he he loves that. So we make it a whole day. We get the music going. Uh, the guys show up. We split them in groups. Um, you know, we have the the, the, the laser timing gates. Um, we have, you know, the full staff is out there. So, I mean, that just sets up the, the awesome. day, which is, which is uh, it's memorable. Um, but, you know, I, I think one one thing that helps, too, uh, to go to your point, is um, at the next level, speaking to a couple of buddies that are working as uh, NBA strength coaches, you know, they say they can – tell who has been exposed to that with multiple people watching them uh, having to test out and who hasn't. And, you know, it, it could make a difference, right. Um, you know, and so being able to test under a little bit of pressure um, and then um, going through those certain tests, um, I think it's extremely valuable for these guys. And again, adds value to what we're doing because um, we're able to create individual profiles for each guy and um, tell them where he ranks amongst his teammates and then also what the NBA averages. So it kind of gives them something to shoot for, um, which uh, obviously um, increases the intent of some of the things that I do in the weight room because they can see the carryover. Um, so uh, again, uh, great competing, great camaraderie amongst each other. Um, and then um, just reinforces um, some of the strength movements and uh, ballistic and plyometric training that I like to do in the weight room. So who is a player that has impressed you already with their kind of work in the weight room? And who is a player that you think you're going to see the most improvement from, um, from now until the end of the season? Oh, put me on the spot, huh? <laughs> yes, of course. All right, man. So, you know what, man? We, we, we got some great guys, man. You know, they, the guys that have been here, um, you know, they're very focused. Um, they're really uh, – they know that the details matter. Um, and so it's been good because the guys that have come in a good amount, you know, they get to just continue. They look around, they see how it is, and, and they get they get to just jump right on board. Um, so as far as strength goes, um, let me see. So pound for pound, we know Trey Bonham is just strong. You know, it's funny because sometimes he'll yeah. get up, he'll do his pull-ups, he'll do weighted pull-ups. And, uh, you know, all you hear is the fellas like joking around like, oh, it's the military training, the military training. So, so he, you know, pound for pound, he's, um, you know, extremely strong. Um, you know, um, AK uh, is extremely strong. He looks like a tank. Right. And so he, you know, it's not all for show. It's go. He, he, he does. Uh, he, he does lift a good amount. Um, so he's really impressive. Niles Lane. He's. He's a he's a freak. And so, um, you know, you guys, you guys know, being around the program, he's super ultra athletic, um, but he backs up in the weight room as well. And a very, very strong um, um, athlete. So I think those guys, um, you know, really stand out uh, for me early on. Um, and as far as um, 
you know, moving forward, you know, I, I think obviously Fudge, Fudge can um, is going to ha- continue to develop um, Kwesi Reeves. You know, we, we've seen some good um, changes on Kwesi Reeves this year as far as how much um, force and how powerful he's getting. Um, and so, you know, those guys and then, you know, the older guys as well, like Kyle Lofton, you know, you know, he, he's, he's extremely strong as well. So we got, we got some guys, man, and uh, excited to see uh, it carry over to the court, um, you know, and, and those guys being physical and, and, and explosive. So. So my only last, I, I know Eric's got one more question, but I have one more as well, which is uh, maybe a little more on the, on the light, lighthearted side, but you know, you, you're out at, at Cal East Bay, you're at St. Mary's, you're at San Francisco. I mean, you're like a Northern California guy. Yeah. What has, uh, what is the world of a hundred degree heat? And it doesn't matter if I shower in the morning. Cause why did I do that 10 minutes later when I walk outside Gainesville been like, how's the, how's the adjustment going? No, the adjustments been great. Um, you know, Southern hospitality is real. People are extremely nice. Um, I love how, um, you know, I'm used to always being in a rush, you know, in the morning, as soon as you, you're you're up and going. Um, and, and, you know, some of those things will always be with me. But, you know, the stoplights are a little slower here, you know. And so I got to remind <laughs> myself that it's not a rush. Right. And so, yeah, you know, I'm in that stage of my life where slowing things down um, and just kind of, uh, you know, obviously staying focused and driven. But. Being able to slow things down just a hair is a good change of pace for me. Um, and so it's been great. Um, you know, my girlfriend is here now. Um, so she was in San Francisco for about three months and then finally came out and made the move. Um, and so we enjoy going to the beach, the ocean. We're ocean people. So, I mean, it's paradise out here for those things if you enjoy being out in the water. So um, it's it's been awesome. I put you on the, the spot with the last question. I won't do that again. I've got a light one as well. And I mean, first of all, it's uh, it's uh, so great to have you, Coach. I mean, you were a very requested guest, and uh, I think people are going to be really happy to hear from you. Um, one thing that I think is pretty funny about a lot of strength and conditioning coaches is that there, there really is a stereotype um, of what a strength and conditioning coach is like. I think a lot of the strength and conditioning coaches really actually play into the stereotype. So I think a lot of people think about strength and conditioning coaches, and they're they're intense, they're mean, they're intimidating. Um, what is something about you, like a hobby or, or an interest or something about your personality that you would say uh, makes you a little bit different from that, like stereotype of a strength and conditioning coach? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I, I've come to enjoy like a balance. Like, so, you know, obviously I've, you know, I've seen some of the most extreme circumstances, um, with my military background. And so I've been, uh, you know, very serious in, 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 in that aspect. And um, I've learned to have a good balance. And obviously, don't get me wrong, when it's time to turn it on, we're going to turn it on. It's just because that's how I'm wired, um, you know, as, as a train coach. But, you know, man, I don't, I don't, I, I just enjoy, say, like, I'll listen to classic music. So classical music, you know, that I mean, that's, that's just like something that, that balances my day. So I'll go home, turn on some classical music relax, those type of things, um, you know, just, you know, trying to unwire and unwind um, because being in the weight room, being highly, you know, um, having to get the guys fired up for, for being on the court, you know, or in the weight room, you know, it's just being 
uh, high intensity at all time. I'm just trying to find that balance. But um, yeah, it, I mean that's I mean that's what comes to mind uh, with that question. Well, Coach uh, Victor Lopez, new strength and conditioning coach for the the Florida Gators. Um, you know, it, it's been a while since we had a new face in that position. So it's uh, it's great to hear from you. And I think our listeners are going to be thrilled because really it was amazing how many requests we got. Um, <laughs> we want to talk to Victor Lopez, the guy that looks like a tank in the golden Instagram picture. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks no. for, thanks for some time. No, I, uh, you guys, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, all the, you know, I was surprised because, um, I've been getting messages, you know, from the fan base on, you know, questions just, Hey, how, you know, how you plan on, co- uh, you know, doing conditioning and strengthening and it's all new, right? Because yeah, <laughs> I, love I, lo- I love that there's that excitement, um, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And, um, you know, so I appreciate, you know, all the, the warm welcomes, um, people reaching out. Um, and then just kind of uh, hoping that I, I'm settled here in Gainesville because uh, we're, we're looking to do some great things here. So, so Eric, um, it was really cool to talk to Victor Lopez, Florida's new uh, strength and conditioning coach. Your, your thoughts on uh, the time we got to spend with Coach? Man, it was awesome. And uh, again, the fact that he was one of our most asked for guests, the fact he was willing to do it and the fact that it like was awesome. And I think it really came through like better than we ever could have imagined. I think that that's what as perfect as it gets. And um, one thing I wish people could uh, could have seen is just like, again, I think it's going to come across just listening to him talk, but he does have like total charisma and total charm. And I think just as soon as we jumped on the call with him and just kind of saw, he's got a little bit of like a boyish grin along with like, being super jacked and you kind of see some of that like Cali swag. Like he's just like, he's a cool guy. He's just kind of got that charisma. He's kind of laid back. And uh, yeah, I thought that was something that like definitely listening to him, you're, you're going to get, but, uh, but being on the call with him as well was super cool. So I just thought that went, um, you know, better than we ever could have imagined. So we thank him for the opportunity. I think for him too, it's like, you know, I don't know how well the uh, West Coast Conference was covered from a podcast standpoint. Um, I don't know how many people were asking for uh, strength and conditioning coach uh, interviews for podcasts. So uh, um, I don't know. Maybe it was weird for him to, to jump on. But, man, it didn't seem like it at all. So I really, uh, really appreciate his time. Yeah, I loved that He had listened to some shows to kind of like see what he was getting himself into. That that was fun. And, and you're right. The whole staff, uh, he just seems to fit in with like what we know about uh, Coach Golden and Coach Hovday and uh, the Sapphires, like just a, that sort of, uh, I think you put it put it well, there's a little bit of Cali swag to all of them. And, and it's it's kind of, uh, it's kind of nice. Um, it, you know, it's, it's definitely different uh, than it's been around Gainesville in some time. Yeah, like, uh, I, I honestly, like, I think that he could have been like, he could have been on like Saved by the Bell back in the whatever years that ran. I honestly had this point where he was smiling. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, oh man, is this AC Slater? Like he looks like Mario Lopez. And then I had that half thought of like, oh, yeah, Victor Lopez be related to Mario Lopez. So um, no, he's re- he's really got that kind of cool demeanor. But I'm sure, man, he can turn it on, and uh, you can kind of see from some of the some of the stuff where they show um, through social media, just when he's you know working with the guys, he can definitely bring that intensity. So I don't want to go too overboard and say like, oh, he's just this calm, you know, Californian, you know 
beach bum who's surfing like i he's got a little bit of that cool to him but i'm sure he can turn it on so and again i thought he was just so thoughtful with so many answers to so many questions and like of course we asked him some 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 lighter stuff but we also like got quite into some of the things that we've been talking about for a couple years on the podcast um some pretty nuts and bolts like hey how do you you know how do you feel about measurable strength and 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 adding bulk versus some of this more functional basketball stuff. And he answered it very thoughtfully. So um, that's of course the stuff that just has us. And I'm sure everyone listening, uh, very excited. It was something, you know, we had to ask and his answer was awesome and really appreciated it. And um, man, we got, I think we could have kept asking questions forever. So uh, hopefully oh, we have sure. him on another time. Yeah, no, let's uh, let's do it. Speaking of questions, we have a lot of uh, good listener questions to, to get into. Um, so I think, uh, I think we should do that um, now. And uh, we'll start with our friend Sarah in Tampa Bay, who uh, asked if we had seen um, either the Auburn or the Florida State out-of-conference schedules that we were surprised at how, quote, cream puff they were. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think the first time I saw, maybe it was Auburn. I think maybe you tweeted about it from the show account. So uh, I, I saw it there. But again, it's one of those things that like, I've got to say, Neil, I, I'm I'm starting to kind of change my mind on these things because my first thought, you know, a couple of years ago would be like, yeah, look at this, you know, cupcake bakery that these, these teams are kind of, you know, putting up with. But like, as, as you see, as you get more and more information about the net, and as you see just like what the market is for teams in the net, as more and more teams go to these cupcake schedules, the more and more advantageous it is to join them in, in doing these cupcake schedules. If you're not a team that's going to be right on the bubble, uh, if you think you're going to compete with a lot of these teams, like, like the situation that Auburn and Florida State are in, I kind of understand why to them it might not be super advantageous to play a really hard schedule. So that really pains me to say, I mean, again, for people listening to the show for however many years we've been doing this, this is something that we've been harping on for, you know, years talking about other teams with soft schedules or, um, you know, our thoughts on how Florida should schedule. But um, yeah, I just think that the, the more and we're, we're seeing these schedules more and more and the more you see them, the less problematic it is when a team has a cupcake schedule. And um, that's why I'm going to be really interested to see how, how Florida schedules. Um, and I, whether they go the kind of what they did at San Francisco route where they're kind of hunting the sneaky um, quad one, quad two games, or if they go the route of what a lot of these teams are going, that it's like, we want top quality quadra one games, or we want to play the worst basketball teams we can possibly find because there's a lot of really smart schedule. And, and I mean, you can look at the numbers. There's something to be said about like, that's what you want to do. You want to play unmiss like unquestioned, unmistakable top 25 games, and then go find the worst basketball teams you can play and give them, you know, $40,000 to come to your gym or, you know, a little bit more, but, uh, that's, uh, so I, I just, yeah, I, I, I think I've changed a little bit. Well, I think people listening to this would be shocked to hear my answer to this. Um, but also yeah, it's it's like, a little surprising. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. And I think that, um, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to see how Florida schedules for sure with, with golden now. And, and if they go the San Francisco route, if they go, you know, there's also a pretty good argument to be made for, let's get some top flight games. Let's get some really crappy games. So yeah, my, my, that's maybe a very interesting answer to people because you know what, I, I think I might be, uh, might be changing a little bit as I start to see more and more, more and more data about, you know, recent scheduling. So um, I did want to defend FSUs a little bit. I always get in this position on this podcast. 
Um, yeah, like, I mean, some of these games are terrible. USC Upstate, Troy, um, Stetson, you know. But, like, if St. John's is decent, then that Orange Bowl Classic game isn't that bad. Um, they have Purdue in the Big Ten Challenge, so that's a NCAA tournament team that they'll play. They have Florida um, in Tallahassee, I guess, right before they go to the ESPN events. And I think really the way you view their schedule kind of to me depends on how you view that ESPN in events field. They play Siena in the first game, so like they're not going to be challenged by Siena, a team from the MAC that finished in the middle of the MAC at all. But if they win that game, as they should, they'll get either Ole Miss or Stanford. And if they get Ole Miss, they're probably getting a pretty talented Ole Miss team. Um, so, you know, and if they get Stanford, they get a team that's improved every year the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, that's not a terrible game. Will it be a quad one game? I don't know. Um, but, again, I don't think it's as bad. Like, say Miami's, to me, Eric, was worse. Like, Miami's – uh, was one if I didn't make fun of it on the site, I honestly don't remember if I made fun of it on Twitter or not, but I probably should have <laughs> um, because it, it might be softer than Auburn's to be honest. Like it's pretty bad. Uh, I can't. I'm trying to pull it up here, and I just I think I lost the. Uh, well, well, as you're trying to pull page. it up, I mean that's something too yeah. where it's like um, we had spent a couple of years really making fun of. Well, Auburn's a perfect example of like, look at their schedule. And I guess you can argue, you know, last year was, was Auburn's schedule part of the reason that they had a little bit of an early exit from the NCAA tournament? I would say no, I I, I wouldn't make that kind of jump or conclusion. Uh, so I think you also look, it's like, okay, we can make fun of their schedule, but it kind of worked for them perfectly. They were a two seed and, you know, like maybe they could have been a one with slightly quote unquote better scheduling, but there's also, there's also a couple of times where I've really made fun of some schedules and thought that they were bad schedules. And I look back on it and it's like, it accomplished exactly what they wanted to. And teams ended up with good seeds and really that's what you're, what you're looking for. So um, yeah, man, I think people just got two very unexpected answers. Sarah might've just got <laughs> two answers that are making her sick between you uh, defending Florida state and me defending soft schedules because we know Sarah's a day one listener to the podcast. So she is, uh, yeah, this is going to be whiplash from some of the early days. I'll tell you that much. I know. I know. She's probably going to trash us on Twitter. That's fine. Like, (laughs) yeah, Miami's is, is arguably terrible. Um, they have IUPUI, Lafayette, UNC Greensboro, FAMU, St. Francis, Brooklyn. I mean, what? (laughs) <laughs> okay, <laughs> Providence in the Naismith Classic uh, in, in Connecticut. That's a tough game. Um, and then the winner of Maryland-St. Louis in that same tournament, uh, which could be a difficult game, but really looks to me, kind of looks like a quad two game to me. Uh, they play at UCF, which is probably smart scheduling, honestly, but not like a scary game. Rutgers is their ACC Big Ten Challenge opponent because of where the way they set that tournament up, and it was just where they finished in the Big Ten and where Miami finished in the ACC. Uh, so they end up getting a Rutgers team that lost a lot. Uh, Cornell, St. Francis, Pennsylvania, because they got to play all the St. Francis's. Um, <laughs> and then they play Vermont on December 28th. Look, that Vermont game, I mean – Look out. 
if you're like, I would never want to play Vermont, period. But like playing Vermont during holiday break when the students aren't there is like really scary. Yeah, just even too, just like if you would have said like blindly who uh, like who has this schedule with all these teams and like the Northeast, I would have never guessed uh, Miami. So hey, uh, good good for the good for that. I mean, it's not obviously it's not like they're going to play at St. Francis. All Brooklyn. those Northeastern you know, schools want they're, to come they're to not that, hey, I guess that's it. Hey, if you're gonna get bought, why not get bought by Miami? And uh, I think you could also insert a joke about you know there being a lot tougher home courts to play at if you're gonna go play a road game in the ACC um Ooh, one so one true, could though. one could make that joke so um yeah that 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 actually is fair hey if i was at vermont too i'd love get get getting bought by miami say head down there all right so we will um move on to uh the question from jacob which is who do you think will be the most improved florida player this season oh i think our answers might be the same i like a clear answer to me is Alex Fudge is because I think he's going to be an NBA player. Maybe not after this year, but like, and I feel a lot of people are already kind of penciling in Alex Fudge as like a starter or someone who's going to be a monster. And understandably so I kind of am as well. Maybe not like a monster, but I think he's going to, I like, I think he's going to start. We've talked about the podcast. I think he's going to do really good. And like something I don't even think people totally realize is like, this is a guy who really couldn't get on the floor for LSU for most of conference play. So, you know, someone we think is going to go from someone who couldn't get on the floor for LSU during conference play to someone who we think is going to be really good. That would be a, uh, that'd be a huge step. So Alex Fudge is my answer. Yeah. Same answer for me. Um, and I do, I think, you know, if he doesn't start, he's the seventh man, right? He's not really a sixth man type guy, but there's nothing wrong with being the seventh man. <laughs> Uh, on a team that's going to play nine guys, I think. Um, and Todd Golden has pretty consistently, if you look at lineup data, I know I'm, I'm stepping into the faucet territory here, but <laughs> if you look at if you look at lineup data, Todd Golden seems to be of that school of thought where you start your best defenders um, and you bring scoring off the bench for the most part. So I think Alex Fudge certainly fits that bill as well. If you were looking to try to read the tea leaves and to where he could be a starter and they're, they're going to get him comfortable attacking the basket, which was something he had sold at uh, as a prep player. Um, that's how he got his points. And I think eventually, whether it's in college or the NBA, that's how he'll get buckets at those levels as well. Yeah. I think people maybe wanted to hear Quasey Reeves here. <clears throat> that would of course be a totally reasonable answer. We think he's got a big season. I mean, Niles Lane, I just said Alex Fudge was a guy who couldn't really get on the floor for LSU. Um, I guess while we think that, uh, Niles Lane could have been contributing all that time. The fact of the matter was he did have a whole bunch of DNPs in a row and whether that was all related to his performance on the court or other things, um, uh, he, he wasn't there. So, we, you know, that would be a totally reasonable answer, but I just think like, uh, again, Niles Lane was a guy who, when he did get on the floor was really, really good. So, uh, versus Alex Fudge, who couldn't really get on the floor and was, good in non-conference play for LSU when he was on in garbage time for LSU and things didn't really go super well. So um, yeah, I think we're, I, I do think he goes from uh, yeah. Player couldn't really get on the floor in SEC play to someone who's awesome in SEC play. So I, yeah, that's going to be uh, yeah. Make, makes sense that he'd be our answer. Um, next question is about a guy that Victor Lopez brought up Trey Bonham. Um, and it's, it's uh, I'm excited by Trey Bonham. 
Uh, he's super impressive in his interviews. He appears to have mental toughness and a real winning attitude. I loved his comments recently about going inside and not worrying about playing anybody six inches taller than him. I think that kind of fearlessness will be good for Florida. Culturally, what are some reasonable expectations for Trey this season? Great question. Yeah, I keep jumping in with the first word. So do you want to take this one, Neil? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I, I, look, I think he's going to play 12 to 13 minutes a game. That's kind of my guess. Uh, I may be giving two to three more minutes more than ends up actually happening, but I could say 12 to 13. I think that's probably going to be pretty safe because I bet there will be some non-conference games where he plays 20 minutes or so. Uh, maybe that'll buffer up the the overall season average. He's going to be interesting because he's a change of pace guy from what they'll get from Kyle Lofton. Um, I think there are two really critical things he does. He allows Florida to be multiple in the way they're going to play offense um, because they can play a little faster when Trey's on the floor. I wouldn't be surprised if he were on the floor with Kyle Lofton uh, at some at some points in time, especially with Todd Golden saying they're going to play a lot of four out, one in. And um, I also think that he's going to be a, a guy who, because he's strong, uh, as you mentioned um, in the question, he's going to be a guy that, adjust to sec and the physicality of the guard play in the league pretty well um, on the defensive side. So I think that's good. The second big thing that he'll, he'll contribute is Kyle often won't have to play 39 minutes a game at Florida, which I think um, Kyle often will really be happy about in February and March. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'm still looking forward to seeing what Lofton's defense looks like as someone who is a really good defender while playing 40 minutes a game. So uh, let's see what he's uh, like when he's got even more juice in those legs. But I think for Bonham, it's going to come down to um, how much pick and roll Florida uses, because if there is something that I think that he could be better at than Lofton, it's it's pick and roll ball handling. That's somewhere where uh, Lofton was an analytics darling was as a pick and roll ball handler. Um, whether finding teammates um, or getting to his own shot. He's got the pull-up three that Lofton doesn't have as much. So, uh, again, is Florida going to be looking for a primary offense from their point guards? Um, maybe not. So maybe that uh, the fact that Lofton might be a better individual like shot creator than, than Lofton – maybe that doesn't matter a ton, but like if, if, if Florida is a team that uses like 25 or 27% of um, their offense from pick and rolls, then, and it's ends up being a lot more um, finding guys coming off screens, entering the ball to castle and playing through him, then it could be like, yes, 32 minutes of Lofton and eight minutes of, of Bonham. If it ends up being, you know, more like 35, 37% of pick and roll usage, which has been like Florida's like heavy ball screen usage recently. Then I really think that Bonham is going to prove himself as the best pick and roll ball handler and will command more minutes. And then of course, the other thing is how well can he defend? Because I think that's kind of the, the biggest question for him. Um, so hearing that he's just a tank. We should have, you know, known that I, I, I guess coming from the, the military Academy, but uh, uh, you know, hearing that he's got the the toughness and the willingness, you know, I, I here's, he, there's another guy who could defend better just because he's playing less minutes um, and having a little bit less, less of a role at Florida. But um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a tough one for, for me because I, I really do think that the staff loves Lofton. And I think that they that his style of play is going to fit what they're looking for a little bit more. But I just think Trey Bonham is so good as a pick and roll ball handler that there's going to be times where they need him in that role. And the other thing, just looking at the roster and the way the minutes are going to kind of shake out, I, or, you know, how I think the minutes might shake out, I think it's going to be tough to get those guys on the floor together that much either. So I guess that'll be the other thing if, if 
the staff finds rotations that they like those two guys together um, or not. And I would kind of lean towards probably um, that those two guys not playing together very much. There you go. Um, the next question came from MP. Wanted to know if we saw the three-man weave college basketball preview. I haven't read it. All I saw is the graphic that said, so this is a great question for Eric if he's already read it. I, I read these guys religiously, and I just haven't read um, their Florida preview yet. I like to wait till closer to the season to read it. So I did see that they had Florida in the top 20, and I look that kind of makes them aliens compared to some of the rest of the, the national beat right now. I think the closest I've seen to that is Jay Billis has Florida around the, in the thirties. Um, but, but Eric, did you see the three man weave preview? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I love the three man weave guys. I think they are pretty much the best at what they do for those of you who haven't seen this every year. They used to do previews on, on every team in the country. Um, this year they've joined up with field of 68 to do something called the almanac. So I'll plug that. Cause I love the three men. We've guys who wrote a bunch. And then I love the heat check guys, Eli Bodker, yeah. um, Lucas Harkins, Connor Hope, Ryan Roth, Riley Davis. I uh, love all those guys um, that they're all doing that as well. So like between three man weave and the heat check guys, who I both really like a lot. Um, they've got like 200 and some out of all the teams. So um so yeah, I uh, just I'll, I'll give a plug to that. I think it's like twenty bucks, uh, but it's like a preseason. Yeah, they're kind of preseason magazine. So uh, yeah, I love those guys. And one thing I really love is just the fact that like, man, it was like five or six years ago that like it just seemed like everyone, every college basketball preseason thing was so like there was it was so homogenous, and it just seemed like if you had a team, if like everyone had the same team at six, then if so one person had them at seven, everyone's just like, wow, like you're so stupid. Why do you have them there? And like, it, people were so scared of like doing something different than consensus. The preseason coverage just like was terrible and preseason lists were terrible. And now you've got three on weave who I think has Florida um, 15th. And I think like John Rothstein has them in like the 40th or, or like in the 40s somewhere, which is, you know, 45th. 45th. Okay. Per yeah, perfect. So you got, you would never see that like five or six years ago. So I'll just take this opportunity to say that I love the college basketball coverage on a whole that now people don't have to be scared to like think differently. So um, again, I love the three on weave guys. So for them to have Florida that high, that's pretty awesome. Um, I did read it when they first tweeted it. I should probably pull it up now, but I'm just going off memory, but I, I mean, they like all of Florida's additions for sure. And I think that they also just gave like, a ton of respect to Florida's coaching staff. That was one thing I know they said that they felt that these are good players that have coaches that are going to maximize them. And it's like, what more would you want from a college basketball team than talent and coaches that will actualize that talent? So um, yeah, I, is if I was doing a top 25, would I have the Gators at 15? No, I don't. I think I would be lower than that, but uh, they're awesome what they do. And they've put a lot of thought to this and they've had Florida 15. So I think it's pretty cool. Definitely uh, cool stuff there. Luis Ortega, longtime listener, wanted to know, and this was one I've sent to Eric ahead of time just to give him a heads up. I don't usually do that in listener questions, just so you guys know that the, the big brain of Eric Fawcett <laughs> answers your listener questions without a moment to, to, to research or anything. So, um, But I did send in this one ahead of time because I thought, man, this is an expansive question. And uh, Luis asked, who are the best five coaches in the sport right now? Oh, man, this is a – yeah, 
I, uh, I didn't, I, I realized I'm like, I don't know which, which question this was, but I realized you did ask this question, but didn't say who it was from. Um, uh, so thank you to him for listening in the question. Um, my answer is going to be very contentious and people are going to be very mad, but I will answer anyways. Um, yes. And in, in no, just cause again, this is uh yeah, there, I, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people will be like, Hey, what a great list, Eric, but probably not um, in no particular order, except Num- my order number one people know my favorite coach in college basketball and there's literally zero people that will say this is the best coach in college basketball but he's going to be on my top five and he's my favorite coach in college basketball uh, it's porter moser i think he's incredible um actually yeah i'll just go through my list and then make a talk um the other four names i had were kelvin sampson at houston bill self Scott Drew and one name that i'm not sure what people are going to respond to but rick patino so Neil, I, I don't know if you did your five coaches, but if so, I'd love for you to uh, to say, but if not, I'm just curious how you approach the question of like, who are the, like, you know, what makes the, the, the best coach? If someone says who are the best coaches in college basketball, like what are, what, how are you interpreting that question and coming up with your answers? So I, I kind of did it the way, you know, I didn't, what would Eric Fawcett do it, but I definitely... <laughs> No, I mean, I definitely think there are certain things that Eric and I, after doing the show together for a while, have figured out that we view pretty similarly. And one of them is like roster construction is super, super huge to us. Um, so I went, I looked at who who's really good at constructing a roster, whether it be through recruiting or through the portal or, or now really you kind of have to be able to do a little bit of both. Um, I looked at NCAA tournament success because all coaches are defined by March, whether that's fair or unfair. <laughs> Um, I looked at style of play um, and that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the most aesthetically pleasing thing in the world, but I do think it matters some to kind of the way you uh, are perceived a little bit. And then I looked at um, culture and, and just like consistency from that standpoint, like, are they a consistent program? Uh, do they win all the time? What was the job like before they got there? What was the program like before they got there and what does it look like now? So I came up with, with some of the same names uh, that, that Eric did. I, you know, if you have Scott Drew, I think it's going to be on pretty much any rational list. I had Porter Moser um, because I don't know how you you get to the final four at Loyola, Chicago, but uh, (laughs) he did. Um, and I also think he's just really on top of modern basketball schematically. Um, and I think his roster construction's a little underrated. See back at the comment I made about getting to the final four in Loyola, Chicago, and then go and look at how well that team fit together. Uh, and that was a team that, that he put together. So I thought uh, he should be in there. I know I'm giving the comments on mine before Eric does, but I think that's fine. Um, I put Tony Bennett um, in my list. I think he elevated Virginia into like the Duke and UNC um, tier in the ACC. He's now won a national championship. So I don't think you could say he doesn't win in March anymore. Um, And uh, they also, you know, I said scheme matters and, and they finished with a top 10 defense in Kimpom 10 times in his 16 years as a, as a power uh, six coach. That's stupid. <laughs> um, that's so good. Uh, and their offenses, you know, go and look. Virginia's offenses tend to be fairly efficient. 
Um, so those were kind of three of the names on my list. Uh, Leonard Hamilton was a fourth name um, just because I don't know if you can build a program and be one of the most successful, most winning programs in the last decade um, at a place like FSU that had very little at basketball happiness for the 15 years prior to his arrival. Um, yes, they haven't gotten to the final four, uh, but I think they probably were going to get to the final four, but for that nasty coronavirus, um, you know, I don't know if anybody in the country was playing as well as that particular ham team was playing, uh, when that season ended. Uh, and then my last guy, which will probably be controversial is another guy who, who hasn't been to the final four yet, but I think it's coming. Um, and uh, that's Matt Painter. Um, mm. And I think when you rack up 400 wins um, and you average 25 wins a year, like Matt Painter has for the last 10 years, um, that's pretty dang impressive. I think it's a good job, but not a great job. It's not the best job in that state, but now there's no question it's your program in that state, right? Um, I was a little disappointed. And then last year, I'll be honest, uh, you know, they had a lottery pick on the roster. They had a lot of veterans and then they lost four of their last six games and ended up not winning the big 10. You know, that mattered to me. I almost left him out of the list because of that. I thought Jaden Ivy and you couldn't get to the final four. Um, but uh, they're just so consistent, Eric. And so for me, that was a little more impressive than say like a John Calipari or, or someone else that I could have put on there. Painter was my sixth, actually, because I love his offense so much. And if, nice. I was doing, if I was doing best offensive coaches, he's probably top three for me. But the defense has been problematic, and uh, that's why I think they've lost some games they shouldn't have. But love Painter, so he was right there for me. Um, I don't think I need to say anything about Scott Drew, big-time culture, um, winning with – like he's – one thing I love with Scott Drew is he's one with guys that are five stars and he's one with guys that were unheralded Juco recruits. Like it just doesn't really matter who he's got. And I think that that's where my list probably skews a lot is, you know, everyone knows I'm, I'm a scheme guy. I'm an X's and O's guy. So I think I probably default too much to that side of things and don't weigh other things enough. But if I had to say like my one, my one, well, I actually said it earlier in the podcast, like 10 minutes ago, if I were to say like the trait that I think what makes good coaching, it's maximizing the talent you've got. And I know that's not even a fair thing to say about college basketball because you're responsible for the talent you have. But like, to me, there's something I want about when I, when I say like, who are the best coaches in college basketball? I want to imagine a fictional world where you can line up five identical players on one side and five on the other and two coaches go and, the teams play against each other and which coach is going to win because they get the most out of their guys. And that's like, where like Rick Pitino for me. It's like, I, I think if you line up him and any other coach and you give somewhat similar talent, like you're losing to Rick Pitino every time. And I think you've got, yeah, with, with even, with even his coaching in, in, in Greece and for, um, but for professional teams as, um, as well as international play, like, and then you just see that he like instantly turned Iona into a really good team and they should have been in the NCAA tournament this year. Um, but, uh, they unfortunately choking and they shouldn't, but I think this like, you know, his transgressions off the court, not a big fan, but when it comes to basketball coaching, he's there. Um, Bill self too. I don't think people have realized that these Kansas teams recently have not been the Kansas you think of. It's more three and four stars. It's not a bunch of five stars. Um, Kelvin Sampson at Houston. I don't think people realize like how truly incredible the last couple of years have been for them. Yeah, um, I love that they've got a 
very distinct style of play. And like looking at their last five years and on Ken Palm, their finishes, I'm just looking now 18th, 12th, 14th, fifth and second in the last five years at, at Houston. And this was of course a team that lost two of their best players last season and still, <laughs> um, we're at, you know, we're second in Ken Palm. That's pretty incredible. I love that he's got a distinct style of play and it just like, and also like if, just like late game execution. Like I, I think they're incredible. And Porter Moser, I just think X's and O's wise is just incredible on both sides of the floor. I've learned so much from him offensively, so much from him defensively. I, I honestly think I should have given him a share of the 2017 um, Edmonton city championships basketball, because I ran their exact Princeton chin series and my team scored a million points with it. And it was all because (laughs) it was all because I watched Loyola Chicago play and they were, you know, killing teams like Florida. And I, we, like, we just ran their exact playbook and they are, is truly a reason, um, you know, we won a pretty big banner for the school I was coaching at at the time. So, um, yeah, people know my Porter Moser love, not looking forward to playing him, um, you know, every year for the, for the Gators when he's in the SEC, but it's all respect. Cause I think he's great. Yeah, no, uh, all, all good stuff, man. Um, great, great question. Great, uh, list. I thought so. You know, definitely, definitely some fun there. We had uh, one from Chomp and Skull who asked uh, the other one that I fed Eric a little early, which was top five uh, MTEs. He said, "You get, you know," he, he said, "Neil, you're always talking about Feast Week uh, being one of your favorite basketball weeks of the year. It is, baby. Nothing better than Feast Week and Conference Championship Week, and then the the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Those are paradise for for any college hoops fan." Um, so my favorite five MTEs, I'm going to be honest, that actually changes every season because I really think it kind of just depends on like who's in the field for, for everyone. So um, I, I, I'm going to answer this question and kind of let Eric jump in and, and say what he thinks of, of some of these tournaments. But I'll tell you the five that, that I think are probably the most interesting to me um, in no particular order necessarily. Um, I really like the ESPN events. I think I mentioned it earlier. Uh, and that's with Florida State. We got Memphis. We got Seton Hall, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Ole Miss, Stanford, and uh, FSU and Siena. Eric, some thoughts on that event? Wow. Yeah, that's a great field. I didn't do my homework, and that's why I'm not giving my five. And Neil just is. Um, that's really interesting teams and, and even ones that I think are going to be like like, do I think Stanford's great um, this year? Uh, no, but I think they're better and they're fun to watch. Do I think Ole Miss is great this year? No, I don't, but I think they're going to be good and, and fun to watch. So I'm um, looking at a bunch of those teams, like just in addition to, of course, the big names. I think that's one of the things that makes these tournaments like really good. And it's it's not always who are just the biggest names you have because like that's great, but it's not super fun to watch them win a couple of games by by 30. So a lot of these ga- these tournaments can kind of end up being defined by who are your like middle to lower middle of the pack, you know, high major schools. And I like the ones in this one. So that's a big time tournament. Yeah, no, that one's really good. I think the easiest way to do this now is just, uh, you know, one of my favorites every single year is the Maui Invitational. Uh, There's a couple of reasons I really like Maui. The first reason is it's the first one. Um, When it's played normally, it starts on Monday night and it's over, 
before Thanksgiving. And a lot of these events either start on Thanksgiving or start on Friday and end on that Sunday. So you kind of kick off Feast Week with Maui. Um, I like Maui this year because I am kind of, I'll be honest, I'm kind of salivating over the idea of an Arkansas-Arizona final. Like, I mean, I just think that that could be so much fun. Uh, but the rest of the field will have certainly something to say about it. And we could have a Creighton, who I think is the prohibitive favorite to win the Big East, Arkansas Semi, because um, there's Texas Tech Creighton, uh, Louisville, Arkansas. Ohio State is there. They'll play San Diego State. And then Cincinnati and Arizona will tip it off in the late game on that Monday night. Well, I think something that's cool about Maui is that it really has kind of transcended to like, you could literally line up any lineup of teams and people are going to watch it and it's going to be interesting. And like, there's just a little bit of a mystique about the, about the gym, like the way that the rims are notoriously soft. It's kind of a joke that happens every week. Like, and even the time, the, the time that games tip off and, um, unfortunately this isn't a year where Shamanad's playing, but, uh, we, we, you know, you love those games too, where you see the silver swords, the, the local D2 team that gets in every couple of years, like hanging in with some good teams. Like there's, there's just a lot about the Maui Invitational that has just become like bigger than the teams in it. Whereas a lot of the tournaments are, you know, only as good as your lineup where it's like Maui's just always good. It's always fun to watch. It's, uh, it is truly one of the great events of college basketball. Yeah, it really is. Another great event uh, this year will be the battle for Atlantis. Look, I'm not nuts about – I've been there. I'm not nuts about the gym um, or the setup. Uh, but I've but there are people that engage me on this that are college basketball fans that have been there. And I loved that on Twitter that there was like, hey, man, I thought the setup was really intimate and cool, and I just thought the sight lines were horrible. And, like, it must be really hard to shoot at Atlantis and um, – you know, I did see in some article at The Athletic that, like, field goal percentages at Atlantis were, like, the lowest of any MTE <laughs> last year. Uh, so I felt a little validated by that. But I get, like, the intimate setting. Like, you're in a ballroom, and it's so it's not like a gym. Um, and, and that's kind of interesting. Uh, this year's field, I don't think it's as good as it has been in past years. Um, but it's not a bad field. Uh, the defending national champs are there. Uh, they'll play NC State, Eric, on Wednesday. Uh, Dayton and Wisconsin will square off. That should be an interesting, if not kind of uh, low-scoring game. In the afternoon, USC and BYU. And then uh, the Tennessee Volunteers representing the SEC, they'll play uh, Butler in the nightcap. That's the field. Yeah, I think that I, pretty much everyone I, I've known that has gone to Battle for Atlantis has just been uh, maybe disappointed that they uh, spent all that money to go get a real expensive hotel room to see an event that they said wasn't too great. So uh, I don't know if people have been and and, and really want to stick up for it. Um, that you know, please do. But I, I've just heard a couple of people say that they didn't uh, didn't love that event. And man, that's a that's an expensive uh, trip for uh, an event that you know isn't awesome. Maybe uh, I mean, there's one very premier MTE this year that has had uh, that has a lot of the best teams going to it. That Neil might mention upcoming. And then I think that Maui got the next crop of teams. And then I think every other MTE kind of got hurt. And I think that this is the first one where you see like when you look at the lineup being not as good as you might expect. I, I just think that's where uh, um, that's the trickle down of, of a very, you know, elite event um, that uh, has a whole bunch of teams going to it. Yep. My fourth one. And, and I wouldn't put this in the top five for like the best fields because of Eric actually just hit on the point. I think 
the special one that's coming around that I'll mention last, um, got the best teams. And I think they took some teams away from the Shriners Charleston Classic, but uh, that is a great event. Great city to be in, lots of good food, reasonable, uh, reasonably cheap to get to. Don't fly directly there, like fly somewhere else and rent a car. Um, it's expensive to fly into Charleston, but otherwise, you know, there are a lot of hotels. Um, I don't hate this field at all, actually. Like for basketball nerds, like it's kind of an interesting tournament. It also happens the week before Feast Week, technically. Um, it starts that Thursday and it ends on a Sunday. They get a day off on Saturday. So it's a four day trip if you go anyway. But uh, you have College of Charleston um, and then you have a bunch of teams that analytics geeks love uh, in this field. You've got Davidson, Colorado State. Furman and Old Dominion. Oh, so man. like mid, mid-major heaven. Uh, then you have Penn State, South Carolina, and Virginia Tech for your like big conference fix. I will accept Virginia Tech alongside that first group of teams as a very fun team to watch stylistically. <laughs> yes. but, on, but honestly, like between like Virginia Tech, Furman, Davidson, and Colorado State, those are four of the teams that I – love watching as much as anyone in the country, uh, particularly for how well they run offense. So uh, that'll be a very good tournament. And I feel like, you know, again, I was just mentioning, I, I, you know, I've had friends go to the Bahamas for the battle for Atlantis and be like, this is what my flight costs. This is what my hotel costs. This is what food costs it. I didn't think it was great. I would just, you know, if I had that kind of, you know, entertainment dollar, I'd be going to Charleston to eat some incredible food and then go watch Furman and Davidson, man. That's uh that is definitely the basketball nerd tournament. And that's probably going to be one that I find myself watching a whole bunch of. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to watch that tournament, but I get that like, there's not a ton of sex appeal there, I guess. But right. It's, I think it's a really good, they put together a good field all considered. Um and then Eric mentioned it already, but the Phil Knight Invitational and the Phil Knight Legacy, two tournaments, 16 teams, two tournaments, four days of basketball. They're, they've got multiple gyms that they got it going in. They've got games at Veterans Memorial um, for the Phil Knight Invitational. Uh, the semifinals and the finals are at Veterans Memorial for the Phil Knight Legacy, which is like the big boy tournament. Um, and I shouldn't call it the big boy tournament when there's blue bloods at the other one. But it's it's the the one it's for people that went to the first one. Um, that's how they ended up doing Phil Knight Legacy and setting it up that way. They get the Moda Center, uh, so mm. they get to play where the Blazers play in the semis and the finals. But if you go to the, the consolation bracket, um, you're still in the Moda Center, but then you're in the Veterans Center for your last games. Anyway, uh, the Phil Knight Legacy is Duke, Florida, Gonzaga, Oregon State. Portland State, because you got to have the home team. Uh, Purdue, West Virginia, and Xavier. Pretty, pretty sick. Yeah, it's awesome. And again, I, I think that uh, you actually see, like, you legitimately see when you look at the the battle for Atlantis and some of the other big MTEs, like. Um, them not having as good of a lineup as normal as a direct uh, uh, it's directly because all these, you know, really good teams are in Portland. So I think that is the premier event in college basketball. I think it's actually pretty impressive that, you know, Jordan brand or, or Nike, I mean um, how Nike is like showed some restraint here where like, I feel like they could be putting this on every year and 
uh, best teams like, you know, that you just listed would be there uh, if Nike called. But uh, the fact that they had this incredible turn five years ago and they showed some restraints and waited for five years before doing it again. Um, I think it was awesome five years ago. I think it might be even better this year. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah the premier events in college basketball, no question. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that they they did show restraint and then to have two tournaments this year, they kind of realized what a good thing they have going as well. So uh, in their other events, the Phil Knight Invitational, they get North Carolina, Michigan State, Villanova, UConn. No, this isn't a joke. This actually is the field. Uh, Portland uh, joins those four uh, programs that have won many national championships as does Iowa State, Oregon, and from the Southeastern Conference, the University of Alabama. Yeah, it's fantastic. Good. Uh, I, I do actually, I genuinely love that that Portland and Portland State are in there. Um, Oregon State is also kind of like a funny addition as the high major, but also like in the same tier as, as the, the Portland State Portlands of the world. So, um, and again, as we talked about when they announced the bracket, we need the Gators to win that, uh, that first game. Cause, uh, oh, uh seeing, seeing, seeing Oregon state would not be, uh, not be, not be great, but, uh, man, that's, uh, that's going to be some incredible viewing and, uh, going back to feast week. I mean, you know, for me as a Canadian, our Thanksgiving is in October. So, uh, it's it, feast week is amazing for me because I don't have fa- family obligations, so I can just watch <laughs> basketball and football, um, shamelessly. So it's, uh, it, you mentioned it was one of your favorite weeks of the year and, um, mine as well, but for, you know, slightly different reasons because it's uh, truly only sports sports watching. Yeah, that's, it's a great time. Um, and you know, you, it's also a time I learn a lot about the sport um, and both 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 just watching lots and lots of basketball and taking in like things and concepts and how people do things that I haven't looked at. And then also, you know, learn about the sport that particular season. Like, you know, I'll be honest, there's going to be teams that come championship week. I won't have watched since feast week uh, just because of time. And I'll be like, man, when I saw them in feast week, they had these problems and it's kind of fun if they end up being pretty good and you're like, man, they corrected that or, you know, uh, or if it goes South, oh man, this went wrong. And we've seen examples of that uh, in past years. So, um, you know, even with the Gators seeing just exactly what they could be when they won the Charleston classic um, in, in rather impressive fashion. And then, you know, what they were in the end of the season when they, they blew the huge lead to Kentucky uh, before the pandemic hit. So, um, you know, that's always pretty interesting to me. We will wrap with uh, this listener question, which I also thought was pretty good. Comes from Bucky. Bucky wants to know if Oscar Shibwe or Drew Timmy don't win National Player of the Year, who are five players you think could? Ooh, five. Armando Bacot. There's one. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. We can bounce back and forth. Okay. My, my pick is, okay. So as we've kind of seen in recent history, I, I know we're trying to wrap up. I should shut up and not talk too much, but I think that there's just so many good. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Take your time. Please. I think there are so many great bigs in college basketball. And we've seen recently that it's just a lot of bigs at the top battling for that player of the year. I think at some point there's going to be a little bit of voter fatigue. And I also think that there's going to be a point where like, you know, Oscar Shibway is going to have this many points and this many rebounds. And like Armando Baycott's going to have similar points and similar rebounds. And like 
Trace Jackson Davis is going to have similar numbers and maybe Colin Castleton has similar numbers and someone's going to be like, hey man, it's a guard's world and the best guard for a team that has a top five coach in college basketball and uh, really surprised, well not surprised, they were just awesome, uh, would be Marcus Sasser from Houston. I think he might be the best non-big and I think where a lot of these bigs, I don't want to say we'll like cancel each other out, but like I almost feel like they might cancel each other out in, in a way in the eyes of some voters. And I think Marcus Sasser is a player that I think there'd be some, some value if uh, people are betting. I like that pick. Uh, I'm going to make another one that may raise some eyebrows, but I'm going to take the big, the reigning big 12 freshman of the year. Uh, now the Texas point guard, as opposed to the school where he won big 12 freshman of the year. And I'm going to say Tyrese Hunter. It's been a while since mm. we had just a really electric point guard win national player of the year, but I think Tyrese does everything that Chris Beard would want in a point guard. Um, And speaking of roster construction, like I think in year two, like they're pretty close to being what Chris Beard wants his team to look like. Uh, And I think if Texas is great, it will be because of Tyrese Hunter. And if Texas is great, voters might gravitate towards a player in the big 12. Ooh, Tyrese Hunter might need a trigger warning there, Neil, for a player who uh, a lot of people think should have been a Gator. So, uh, uh, I think another, I'll go another guard because I just would like <laughs> love, I would love to see, uh, again, just like a player who I'll go another point guard. Who, um, yeah, I, I just think I'd love to see a non big man win because I feel like as much as the big man is still very relevant in college basketball, I feel like everyone kind of agrees modern basketball is a guards game and it takes guards to win in college basketball. And then it's like all these big men at the top of voting and, and someone who like, I don't feel as confident about this because I don't know about the fit but I think he's really, really good is Kendrick Davis um, who is at uh, Memphis. Now he was at SMU and was just like a 20 point per game score. Um, You know, really good passer. He's a small guard. He's now at Memphis. How really good players have done at Memphis recently. It's a bit of a spotty record. So I'm not sure about the fit necessarily, but I think Kendrick Davis, the player is um, so good that if Memphis finally like, is, is as good as some people have expected Memphis teams to be recently. I think people would be like, wow, it's because they brought in this like senior point guard to um, be the glue that holds together all this NBA talent. And here he's scoring, you know, 16 points a game and maybe has five assists. I don't know. I could see there being some, whatever. I don't feel as good about this one, but I, I will put Kendrick Davis on my list. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I didn't feel awesome about uh, <laughs> Tyrese Hunter either, but I was kind of thinking outside the box, like, who could kind of make a a run that we weren't necessarily expecting. Another guy that I had written down uh, was um, Derek Whitehead, but obviously with the injury, I don't know. I I I assume he's going to play basketball for Duke, but I don't know like when that would happen. I don't think it'll be national player of the year uh, discussion type. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he gets back in time to get into the discussion for uh, National Player of the Year. So that's a tough one. It's hard to say. Another guy that I think is interesting, and you wonder if, like, two guys on the same team can compete for the same award. Um, But we've seen Gonzaga have that happen Mm. a little bit in the past. And so, you know, I I certainly think there's no reason that R.J. Davis of North Carolina can't win if a backcourt player – uh, is capable of winning. And we saw like he can just score like a microwave in the NCAA tournament. Um, and you know that Hubert Davis is going to play him for 35, 36 minutes. So the numbers are going to be there. Yeah. And then the last one I was kind of thinking of, and like, 
I feel like the wise, like, again, if you were like betting, there might be some value in putting like putting at least one freshman on the, on, on your list. And I do feel like Nick Smith at Arkansas, uh, I think is incredible. And we know that Arkansas has had success recently. Musselman's put his players like Moses Moody in, 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 you know, positions to put up numbers and be really good. I think Nick Smith is like as good a player as he's ever had there. Uh, I think he's going to be awesome. And like, probably not really make the NBA draft uh, number one pick discussion that interesting because of Wemby. But uh, I, I think Nick Smith is in- incredible. And if there was like a freshman that could maybe get in the mix, I, I think it would have to be Nick Smith. I think he's excellent. So uh, I'll put him in the honorable mention as well. Yeah, I like that. Did you think of anyone in the SEC perhaps that that you might see being in the in the discussion other than Oscar Sheboy? Um, well, yeah, Nick, Nick Smith. Uh, right. Um, other than I that, should, I should say, yeah, no, other than Nick Smith. Yeah, other than Nick Smith, I I know. Um, well, clearly, clearly, no, there was not there that not to anyone else. But I feel like we're probably blanking, and someone's yelling at their phone. Yeah. So that that for me, like, I don't think Keontae George plays enough at Baylor. To, to be in that discussion. I don't think Cam Whitmore plays enough or scores enough at Villanova to, to be in that discussion. A guy that's intriguing to me um, just because Rick Barnes has had such great success with uber talented wings that can drive the basketball um, and are kind of freakishly long is Julian Phillips. Um, I think he's the guy that's going to play 30, 35 minutes at Tennessee Um and like I, I think I said earlier on with Blake that four of Tennessee's five starting lineup spots are basically in Sharpie. You can probably write Julian Phillips in in like really heavy pencil. Mm. So that well, would be a dark horse. <laughs> I think too, like, so the other day, again, I, I know I've mentioned it a couple of times, but uh, one of the famous um, Malik Grady, Florida basketball group chats, um, like Malik shared, I, I forget the player's name, but Tennessee picked up a big commitment and um, Malik shared it and said like, ah, like, you know, that's a really good get. And someone else in the chat was like, Malik, you always celebrate other teams in the sec getting really good players. And like a couple of guys were like, Malik, stop doing that. Like, we don't want to see any of these teams have success. And it's like, I kind of jumped in. And I was like, Hey, some of you guys have, some of you guys have short memories. And it was not long ago when the sec was like a three bid league where like, team four was a four seed in the NIT. So like, it's, it's like, you know, I, I, I still am happy when really good talent goes to the sec and man is the sec talented. So yes, it's makes, it makes the league crazy competitive. It's going to be frustrating at times to have all these games in a row with like super loaded talent, but like, man, it does, it's, it doesn't seem that long ago where, the SEC was like a three bid league or four bid league and the drop off was huge. And there was a lot of games that didn't feel like it mattered. And there was just all kinds of bad losses on the schedule and times where, you know, if you started the season, not so hot, you wouldn't have a whole lot of resume opportunities to to bounce (laughs) back. So um, yeah, just talking about all these great players and future NBA guys in the SEC, I do think it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't uh, ever begrudge, that situation where they get these guys that that are super big time players, man. Like like Eric said, I just think you kind of have to celebrate it at this point, you know, and and just recognize that 
it's really good for the conference. Um, you know, we could have, yeah. And, and Eric's, I think, right. There's a bunch of guys that we probably could have shouted out, whether it's uh, somebody on, on that Ohio state roster, you know, that a team that I think is going to be really good. Uh, pick your, pick your guy there. Um, you know, do you like Zed key? Are you a Seth towns man? Um, you know, what's, what's your poison? Um, so, you know, I think that's probably the league where Eric and I are, are forgetting people as the B1G, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and maybe, maybe somebody in Arizona, um, who knows, but, but it's hard. Uh, all I know is that if Drew Timmy and Oscar Sheepway don't win, someone will win the award and they'll be really good. <laughs> well, you know, I did kind of mention in passing Trace Jackson Davis, and I guess he should be like someone who, uh, it will, will warrant kind of consideration. Neil, again, please trigger warning on these guys that everyone thinks should have been Gators. Uh, Zed Key, we do very much love him. Um, and, you know, trigger double, warning double machine. <laughs> trigger, trigger warning once again for a player that could have been a, a Gator. Um, PJ Hall, I, I just did see when like Bart Torvik had their projections for yeah. um, the upcoming season. I think that they had PJ Hall as like a top 15 player. He, of course, suffered what. I, I don't want to say it's, I don't want to say this if it's not, but I was going to say season-ending injury. I forget if it's is season-ending or if it's just looks be that way. But so yeah. um, man, so we we do wish him uh, wish him a, a full recovery. We think he's you know we think he's an awesome basketball player, and then stories just come out that he seems to be an awesome person uh, as well. And of course, um, you know, sister is a star on the the volleyball team at UF. So um, there is a time that PJ Hall might be on this list if he gets back to a full recovery, not this season, but but maybe in the future. So. Um, oh. and is Neil, is there any other guys that, you know, maybe should have been Gators or could have been Gators that you want to, you know, shout out to make people no, potentially keep, upset keep, before the podcast is on? <laughs> keep making people, making people yeah. feel bad. <laughs> that's not my goal, but I do appreciate everybody that's, uh, sending listener questions. It makes these, these, uh, off season shows fun. So, um, hope you guys enjoyed the Gators big win over Utah. Um, Enjoy the Kentucky game, another ranked opponent, another night game in the slump. It's exciting stuff, and we're getting down to the nitty-gritty almost uh, almost to 50 days now until uh, Todd Golden there tips off. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. Thank you so much for the questions. It's uh, you know still very cool to us many years into the podcast that uh, people listen and, and make us a part of your podcast rotation. And um, when people send in questions, that, uh, that makes us feel special. So thank you so much. All right, everybody, take care. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.